0: This is Jessica, and you're listening to the Friendly Atheist Podcast. I am joined today by Cameron Esposito. I'm so excited to have you here and shocked that you came on my weird, dumb show. <laughs> uh, why do you say that? I Tell me. Oh, my goodness. Um, I Because I record it in my kitchen in the suburbs of <laughs> Chicago with my friend, Heaven, and it's very uh, surprising to be in the Earwolf Studios. I feel like yeah. a, a real podcaster. You Yes. You look like a real podcaster. Oh, yeah, you got the headphones you. on. Yeah. Is that a, um, is that a sound sound signature? Yeah. What what is that a sound wave of? It is. It's my necklace. Um, my husband gave it to me on my wedding day. It says, I love you, Jessica. It's like his voice saying it. He's an extremely good gift giver. Were you already (laughs) podcasting at the time? Yes, I was. Wow. That is, I love this. Yes. This is very good. He's a very good gift giver. It's very intimidating for me because I'm (laughs) notoriously not. So, um. I'm so thrilled to uh, to have you here. First of all, because I am a graduate of FemCom, which is the uh, the the women's comedy training center that you kicked off in Chicago. Yes, which is awesome. Kelsey Huff was my teacher. I learned a lot. Made a ton of great friends. Um, Can we kind of dig into a little bit why you started FemCom and what it means to be a woman in comedy, and why you wanted to make a space for women in comedy specifically?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um I'm trying to get the I wish I had the exact year in my brain, but there's a Christopher Hitchens article. You could look that, it up. The women aren't funny um, article. The women aren't funny article and it's from like still sort of early internet days mm-hmm. in terms of uh, viral in terms of things going viral. Uh-huh. Um and so like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna vaguely timestamp it. Like maybe it's from two thousand and seven or two thousand and eight. Yeah. Um but anyway, the his premise is that women aren't funny and mm-hmm. here's why. And after that article happened, it seemed as if every news outlet wanted to write a response specifically to him to mm-hmm. that question and their own take on why women aren't funny. <laughs> and I had been doing stand-up. I'd been, you know, I started doing improv professionally the day after I graduated from college. <laughs> But I had just started doing Mm stand-up. I'm like five minutes into my career. um, I start getting media inquiries, which felt like so exciting. But they were all on this topic. Uh And because there were very few women at the time Mm -hmm. doing stand-up in Chicago, really in my class, Mm -hmm. there was one other woman doing the sort of type of stand-up that I was doing, Beth Stelling. Um, And then there was – Jenna Friedman was – doing um, some more surreal stuff, and she'd written, like, an off-Broadway show, and the Potterbaugh sisters were doing a, a group act, and Lauren Lapkus was there as a sketch comic, but but there were very few women doing stand-up. Mm-hmm. So I was fielding questions on behalf of women in comedy, first of all. <laughs> Do, I'd been doing stand-up for, like, one year, <laughs> you know? It's like there are, there are people who maybe could speak on this more intelligently sure. at the time. Um, but also... You know, it was the only attention I was getting. And that's, that's fair. You know, you shouldn't necessarily be, like, getting a ton of media attention a year right. in. Um, but then I gave some interviews, and the men that were operating in the scene were upset. I mean, I just saw on the Internet that, like, Stephen King, today, the day we're recording this, is talking about um, how he doesn't privilege diversity in his Academy Award voting.
0: And which is such a shock that the Academy Awards are all white men being nominated this year. I can't believe it, right. And also, it's such a it's such a
1: bad It's such an unintelligent mm-hmm. reading mm-hmm. of what people are asking for in terms of diversity. Mm-hmm. Nobody is asking that people who are bad at their jobs <laughs> get to be paid and advanced simply because of their sex, gender, or skin color, right. Um, nobody is asking for that. right? It is simply that maybe if you are somebody who um, privileges a certain type of voice, uh-huh. that you like think about the fact that maybe other people have something to offer. Right. So literally just giving a second glance elsewhere. Mm-hmm. It's not even hard to do. Yep. You don't lose anything. Yep. Um, but, the, but the men in the stand-up scene... But they don't scene, see
0: it that way, do they? They see every woman, every person of color, every queer person who gets a job is... You know, kicking a man out of the director's chair, I feel like. Well,
1: I don't, I don't think that's, you know, I don't even fault, I don't fault, I don't even fault dudes, like straight, cis, white dudes for that. I don't fault them for that. Here's why. Um, If you have only been given your viewpoint Mm -hmm. to look at, like Mm -hmm. the lens, the lens is is this person's lens. So if you've always seen media that that you can relate to in a one-to-one relationship, Mm -hmm. if you've seen history... That you can relate to in a one-to-one relationship. Moving outside of that would probably feel like a real ask. Yeah, But, like, for us, for you or I, like, I've always been pr- approaching media from, like, this is a perspective that I'm inhabiting for the duration of this film or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I just it- think that's where, what the argument needs to be. Like, y- yes, this is maybe something that you relate to less. Mm-hmm. Does that mean it's less good?
0: hmm Um... Which is wild because the idea of movies and a lot of media is to, is escapism, is to right. sort of step outside of your own story. And yet, if anybody's asked, if men are asked to do that, even a little bit outside their gender or their race, right. they're like, mm, it's not for me. It's not about me. I don't care. Value isn't whether or not something reflects your lived
1: experience. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <Which> <laughs> so <laughs> so anyway, that, that that's all a bit of a um, a long way of saying that after this series of, of interviews and then some backlash, I just decided to, I, I like started an experiment. That's what Femcom was. It was an experiment. I went to Mark Geary, who is a producer who created a show called The Lincoln Lodge in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I asked him if he would help me in um, like renting some space and, you know, putting tickets online mm-hmm. to uh, create a class for women. And it was going to run for eight weeks and it would help women to write their first five minutes of stand up. Mm-hmm. Because my hypothesis was that it's not, it's that we don't, women don't are not t- cultured to take space mm-hmm. and to speak in our own voice, and that the biggest barrier to entry for comedy is that it is uncomfortable to sit there at the very beginning and um, be alone, the mm-hmm. only person like you in the room, mm-hmm. and um, not even know how to write jokes yeah. in your own voice yeah. because you because you don't know how to speak in the eye because mm-hmm. women aren't taught to speak in the eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just like, Hey, I wonder if it was, if we just helped folks write their first five minutes, if that would change, um, overall participation in the stand-up scene
0: mm-hmm.
1: by women. And I actually believe that this worked. I would concur. <laughs> Cause I, I trained, um, I think over a hundred women, Kelsey also and then Alex Kuman, who who teaches the class now, I think still, um, have trained hun- have trained hundreds more. Mm-hmm. But I also uh, started an open mic that still runs at Kohl's Bar around this same time. That's is also in Chicago. Which open mic? It's it's called Coles. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, it's a Wednesday night open mic, and it would be about half women, mm-hmm. um, because people would come from the class, mm-hmm. and then over time, people that weren't in the class felt more comfortable there Mm -hmm. because there were just more women there. Mm -hmm. And it sort of created this movement um, within the scene, which I think has sort of never totally shifted back, Mm -hmm. um, where there are a lot more women and queer folks. Um, And I don't say this to, like, congratulate myself, although I'm very proud of this, but more so just to be like, I think this is a path. Um, You know, we we also see people doing this in political organizing right Mm -hmm. now. Yep. You know, we see people training women to – get on the ballot mm-hmm. and that that is having a real effect. Mm-hmm. And so I I think that this is a process that, um,
0: yeah, that really works. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was so life altering for me because mm. it was, I've always been a writer and I've always been like the funny friend of my group. Um, and then, and actually speaking of good gifts, my husband got me the first set for Christmas Oh, that's one year. awesome. Yeah because um, it was something I'd always talked about doing and like obviously was never going to do anything about that it was much easier just to talk, to talk about how funny I would be um, and then this class like we all got so close and then for probably two years after we would just go as a pack to various open mics and almost always the only women almost always the only like there was a couple of people of color almost always the only ones there and it it just meant a lot and I'm you know, still in touch with most of them. One of them ran for Congress, and I like wrote on her campaign. It was wow,
1: really? Yeah. That is awesome. Yes, it
0: was incredible. It, it was just such a like big shift in the direction my life went. Yes. and I'm grateful for it. Oh, that's great um, to hear. So, so yeah, that was yeah. I thank you for that. It was really meaningful, and and to carve out that space for women is something that I think is incredibly important and we need to do more frequently. You know, the other thing that I
1: that I really learned in that class and teaching that class is that not everybody who took it had the goal of becoming a professional comic. Mm-hmm. Um, and also not everybody did become a professional comic. Right. Some did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's also a standard that we hold for women only. Yes. Like I know so many men that I started with who were, like, maybe they were bad at stand-up. Mm-hmm. Um, they got invited to, you know, enter the, like, social world of the comedy scene, mm-hmm. you know? And even if people thought they were, like, a shitty stand-up, they would laugh about the fact that they were a shitty stand-up. Yeah. And then those people still wor- still go do mics today. And it's, mm-hmm. like, the expectation that we also will only do things that we are going to be the best at yeah. is also something that I, I hope that that class... Um, still provides in Chicago which is just like it's actually okay to to dabble in something it's also okay to to pursue something and then use the skills that you learn there elsewhere
0: yes yeah I think that's that's exactly right and I don't really do stand that much anymore the podcast has kind of taken that yeah creative energy and I live in Aurora now no brag Mm. um but but yeah it's I think something that really shaped kind of who I was and how I viewed the world. do you want to, can I tell you the first joke I ever wrote? Sure, yes, please. <laughs> it was so the first joke we were taught to write was the the joke structure was, "I like my blank the way I like my blank. Yes. Blank. And my first joke I ever wrote, and no men thinks this is funny, which is like kind of my brand is I like my uterus the way I like my calories empty.
1: Oh my gosh. I love <laughs> that huh? <laughs> huh?
0: <laughs> I just am really proud of that joke. It's a great joke. And I don't think a man has ever laughed at it, which is. Again, my whole... So you uh, you grew up nearby. I grew up in Burridge. You oh, yeah. Up... I grew up in Western Springs.
1: In... We're like two towns over. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, and I just learned from a friend of mine, Alyssa, who's a big fan of yours, that you went to Bennett. I did go to Bennett. Which is like the Catholic school it in is Chicago. extremely Catholic, yes. Like the most Catholic. She uh, wanted to tell you that whenever she drives by, she shakes her fist at it on your behalf. <laughs> and also... <laughs> <laughs> and also, this is a quote, um, they're putting in a theater wing, but she doesn't know how they think they're going to do theater without the queers. Wow. Yes. So, ch- ch- that's just a, pe- a message from Alyssa yes. to you.
1: <laughs> you know, I mean, I, well, first of all, I have a book coming out where I, sp- like, specifically name Bennett and talk about that time uh-huh. period in my life, and I just recorded the audiobook for it last week, and I realized how sort of nervous I am about that, yeah. even though I... Even though I believe that my experience – like, I believe I'm telling the truth. Yes. um, I still feel – because high school there, I had a lot of teachers that were very nice to me. I had some friends um, that – you know, in some ways, there were positive experiences. But also, I think that there are some really damaging parts (laughs) to um, having the type of Catholic upbringing that I had. And I – anyway, I will say – I feel nervous to like call out that institution, also my college specifically, be- mm-hmm. and I am not doing it to um, fuck anybody over, but to be specific. Yeah, and I and it's, it's your life. Like
0: you have is. every right to own that part of your. I whole mean, I life. guess so, but I don't know. Like, the, do you think the Pope's going to get mad at you for? Like, I think shit it's, talking you know <laughs> what. That's a number one. That's
1: a great question. Um, I assume the Pope is already mad at me, um, but it's more so that I. Um, I think it is always difficult to um, to sort of like be the, you know, whistleblower Mm -hmm. or whatever. That school seems to have worked for some people. Yeah. And so for me to be like, it didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. I think that that is, you know, something that like I just think as people like there's a lot of there's a lot of it's there's there is the um, the urging of our culture Mm -hmm. is to keep trauma private yes and to keep negative experiences to ourselves Mm -hmm. and to survive and move on Mm -hmm. and so i think anytime that you're like this actually was kind of fucked up yeah that is a position that culture does not want to hear about
0: right especially when it is institutionalized the way that's right because i whether or not you had a specific thing that happened to you generally being a young closeted person in a catholic school is inherently has to be traumatizing because you're being told that you are less than or worse than every day just as part and parcel for showing up to school
1: yes I mean also you know being raised a woman Mm -hmm. um, in a very catholic family and you know women can't be priests Mm -hmm. women can't and then the the hierarchy of priests the cardinals or or bishops or popes Mm -hmm we don't have access to any of that. Mm -hmm. So we have actually no representation Mm -hmm. anywhere Mm -hmm. in the power structure of the church. Mm -hmm. Are there powerful women behind the scenes or like a random nun here and there? (laughs) I'm sure who like comes in and consults like, yes, I'm sure. Are we ever the ones writing the documents, signing the documents, giving the, um, you know, speeches Mm -hmm. or the homilies or ever, ever as the figurehead or, On You know, writ large or writ small. Yeah. No, we aren't. And um, I think that that also has a long-term damaging – in terms of um, self-esteem and value that is not just – that's not just tied to queerness, Mm -hmm. but literally, you know, 51% of the U.S. population are women. So I'm just going to, like, extrapolate from that that 51% of Catholics are women because (laughs) why would that be a different ratio? Uh
0: Um, And so – you know, that number of people think that they're less than. Mm-hmm. And it's I mean, it all comes back to why representation matters, because if you as a young person don't see yourself represented in any kind of powerful situation, you are going to deduce that you, too, have no power. Right. And that your opinion really doesn't matter because, you know, the. The smart men are taking care of it like you just quiet your little head and and let the boys take care of it. I mean, it's also it goes even
1: beyond uh, representation. It is explicitly stated Mm -hmm. by the church that women are not um, worthy of the priesthood, that are not that are not um, worthy of being Mm -hmm. heads of household and heads of uh, churches. Yeah. And so like that
0: is that is a lot to contend with. But you were Catholic for a long time. Yeah. like Through college, at least through college how did you did you just sort of separate those two ideas in your mind that you are a woman capable of making decisions and being smart and being on your own, but also this space is not welcoming of that um no, I thought I wasn't capable of taking
1: space Oof. and making decisions on my own i will say That's i rough. i come from like a you know i've i had very supportive parents and I also had like a very high level education um and I also come from a family of only sisters. So my parents were, you know, investing in us and pushing us. Uh-huh. And, you know, it was from like a very keeping up with the Joneses area of mm-hmm. the Chicago suburbs. So, so anyway, there was a lot expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was happening. But at the same time, I did not actually think that I was equal to a man. Like, I really didn't. And it was – I was a theology major in college. And when I was reading the documents mm-hmm. – um, that is like the, the, the literal documents from the church that say that women are not equal. That is the first time that I, that, um, that I wondered about that. Cause mm-hmm. like I read the actual words mm-hmm. and I don't know what it, like why it was reading the actual words at that moment in my life. I think it was that there were, that I had peers, male peers who were, um, you know, theology majors who then were speaking about this, um, as if it was true and also I'm like you're an idiot. Like I know I'm an idiot. Yeah. Like I'm 19. I know I'm 19. Right. Do you not know you're 19? Mm-hmm. Do you not know like we're both idiots? And then it made me realize, wait a minute, like it doesn't actually age doesn't actually matter. Like is there some there so the older men in the church, mm-hmm. they have lived their entire life. They've met men, they've met women and they think that men are better? Like that yeah. like this is still in a, this is actually in a, is this coming from a genuine place? Yeah. And and I think that I just it started to sort of topple for me. I mean, I will say I like never took a women's studies class, but it was as if I like sort of invented women's studies. Like that, like that's the very funny thing about um, you know, feminism or the the things that like I now um see were around the whole the whole time. I felt like I was looking in the mirror being like, maybe women are equal and have been treated as if we are not by culture. Like, I'm literally, like, like (laughs) that that gif of, like, the (laughs) the numbers flying through the air around you
0: while a woman's eyes are shifting back. Like, I just, yeah. Well, and it's, so one of the common criticisms I get on this show, so normally we just do, like, a news-based kind of breakdown what's going on in the news as it relates to church and state issues, queer culture, feminism, things like that. And one of the Criticisms we get fairly regularly Is that we talk too much about I talk too much about feminism Or being a woman Or sexism Or women's rights And to me it's Queer issues To me it's such an obvious One-to-one thing Of because of this sort of Patriarchal teaching that we have Of course that's necessarily Anti-feminist And when men are making laws That restrict what we can Or cannot do Of course, that all comes from the same root of women aren't good enough to be priests. And it's wild to me that that is not a connection that's easier for people to make. Mm. And I don't... So can you talk... So I recently watched your uh, latest stand-up special, the rape joke one, which was so good and necessary and great. Actually, can we talk a little bit about this sort of trend that's happening with comedy where it's more... Women feeling free to talk about their own sexual assaults, their own issues, moving around this world with men, and how that links with comedy because inherently sexual assault isn't funny, but we've seen it in your set, in the Hannah Gatsby set of kind of linking those two concepts together. And do you think it's just how women comedians process? trauma or process what's happened to them I don't know I mean I don't I, I will say that for me
1: um for me right so humor is a coping mechanism mm-hmm. and so of course it will be applied wherever there's trauma right, right for the comic or for human for mm-hmm. hu, for humans um and for me um the our current president being elected d- did something um to my understanding of the world that like that made rape jokes a requirement for me just as an artist Uh because I feel like I mean well first of all clearly uh, people have been elected for the entirety of the presidency, who are openly racist, right. or who are openly sexist, mm-hmm. or who are openly homophobic, mm-hmm. like this is not—it's it's, almost a given. I'm not, yeah. Recently. I'm not like a. Oh my god! Is this the America that like it's like yes, this is the America that we know. Yeah, but I think for me, what felt like so so, what I felt surprised by <laughs> was um, that we that he, he is a he's a criminal. Yes. And we know he's a criminal. Like we have actually heard his voice mm-hmm. talking about assaulting women. Right. And I didn't feel like that had happened in my lifetime. Yeah. You know, like I don't mean I don't mean that we haven't had people um, doing dog whistling or or even like being openly racist. But I mean, like they started
0: saying the, the quiet part out loud.
1: Yes. And also the like the 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 literal, you know, backstage microphone, Mm -hmm. you know, like I know for a fact that there have been, you know, off camera conversations or, you know, off radio Mm -hmm. or off pen, (laughs) (laughs) off quill conversations for the entirety (laughs) of the presidency. But it was just that it was it. We didn't have access to it the same way. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel maybe maybe there are people who are older who've seen different presidencies who had this experience for me. You know, I'm 38. This was the first time I felt like we we've literally heard his like him admit it we've we've heard he says, his criminal voice like it's like he's even speaking in a different way uh-huh. like we've heard him, him say it. it yeah and it's not enough and it's I, not I, I, enough and, and it's also like his public face is also disgusting like it's you know like so disgusting and so out there yeah and then to find and then to, it's like but he also has even more back Yes. Backstage. and and the and that it's it's that he's
0: he's a criminal. He's a he's an actual <laughs> like he's a literal cr- like a, <gasps> he's an actual violent criminal. Which it's it's so funny when watching like the impeachment proceedings and things like that happening. And the big Republican talking point was, "Well, they've been gunning for him since day one." It's like, "Well, yeah, he's been a criminal since day one," and he. Yes. What was your bit about bankrupting casinos, which yes. is literally impossible? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Anyway, I, I, yes, I think that that's, that is what made, it's, I guess I, I just felt, I felt the need to, um, look, I can't really do anything about, as people, we, you know, I've limited power in the mm-hmm. world and that felt fucked up. Yeah. You know, to find that out again, because of course we we find that out over and over, over and over again. But um, but I just felt like, well, what I can do is I can talk in the first person about my ex- my perspective and mm-hmm. my experience, and um,
0: maybe this won't help anything, yeah. and I'm still going to do it. Yeah, and I I've talked about my own sexual assault on this show in a and for the same reason of like I I need people to know that it's happening a lot and frequently and to people you know or have heard of or admire. And it's not its not a strange man in alleyway attacking you. It is, you know, your boyfriend or, you know, your drinking buddy or whatever. Um, do you think – so to me, as sort of a comedy outsider, I felt like the podcasts I listened to, the, the content I was absorbing – after 2016 took this, like, fundamental shift. And I'm wondering, as somebody on the on the inside, if you noticed that as well. Like, it genuinely, it felt like, you know, starting November 9th, 2016, like, comedy became... I don't know if heavier is the right word, but, but more meaningful or something. Is that... Was that just my perception, or did you notice that as well?
1: Well, you know... YouTube started in 2006. That's the same year that Twitter was born. And then Obama's elected in 2008. So in terms of the internet and its effect on comedy, mm-hmm. um, we have access to comedy that hasn't been passed through a zillion um, network, you know, executives mm-hmm. that hasn't been. It's it's a more um, personal relationship.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because also podcasting is, you know, essentially st- – hitting its stride in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So before that, everything that you're watching in terms of comedy is like something that's been approved by, you know, 87 suits, mm-hmm. right? And so the stuff that gets on TV is is that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then after, after okay. YouTube, after Twitter, we're hearing from people more directly. Mm-hmm. And Obama's getting elected, and so the political situation seems to be moving in the direction of you know, acknowledging our past mm-hmm. as a country and it toward um younger represent, re- representatives. You know, like as a president, he just he's like in shape. He's like, yeah. he, you know, he, he's he hip. talks like us. Yeah, you know, like it's and I Or more like us. Yeah, and he and, talks like my cool professor. And he's a black man. Uh-huh. And you know, I just it just felt like I think that comedy felt um like surreal and goofy mm-hmm. and there was just There was a lateness, and we don't really have a record of what Mm -hmm. comics felt like before that. Because we were just telling jokes to audiences. Yes. Um, And then, so, this current presidency, I do think, has massively affected um, the tone of comedy, and comedy is sadder, heavier, and more burdened. Uh I mean... I don't know if you remember like what Twitter used to be, but you know for comics it was like a way to kind of get hired for mm-hmm. jobs. It was strictly joke writing mm-hmm. and now it is like strictly raising money for the fires in Australia. Yeah. Like it is it is. And it and I think that that is um Yeah, I think it's a powerlessness. It's a feeling of powerlessness mm-hmm. that before I think folks you know maybe felt less of a of a burden yeah. to do something with their voice.
0: Yeah, just and making people chuckle was enough. Yeah, and it all of a sudden felt like we got we we're kind of moving in the right direction, and then just like slammed back the other way in like this right weird whiplash that we're all sort of still dealing with. Right, I mean,
1: pro- comedy is inherently um, leftist and pro- and progressive mm-hmm. because it's it is. Um, it is in conversation with, like, the old guard or conservatism. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it would be propaganda. Right. So, like, there are yeah. conservative comics or whatever, but those those people are not in the – for me, I don't think they're in the, the like, spirit of what right. comedy actually does. Like, yeah. we are the jester making fun of the king. Right. Right. So, if we are the jester that
0: props up the king, mm-hmm. then, you know, we're – that's a different fucking dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, I actually really wanted to talk about this sort of uh inconsistency between how Hollywood at all is considered this like liberal bubble where people live. But really, when you're on the ground, most comedians, most decision makers, most actors, I don't know if most actors, but directors certainly are all straight white dudes. I'd like to just kind of that disconnect between like, oh, everybody thinks that Hollywood's so liberal, but like we still don't have very good female representation in film or on TV. We have very little queer representation in film on TV without it being like the point of the show is like, haha, can't be gay guys, like the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, I'm pitching that later today to NBC, yes. can't be gay guy. Yes. Um so as somebody who works in hollywood what is your i'm gonna pour some water okay it's Keep really good going yes <laughs> wow seamless yes <laughs> um as somebody who exists and in, works in hollywood do you find it's like this bastion of liberalism or do you still see like echoes of the patriarchy in everything we do well you know the thing that i think we don't talk about enough is that
1: um Hollywood or like whatever word we want to use for that the entertainment industry mm-hmm. is um it's the it it is it is a an investment scheme it is a way to make money mm-hmm. so that's what all of this is mm-hmm. is that um studios are essentially investors mm-hmm. and they put money into certain properties mm-hmm. Hoping to get more money back, mm-hmm. so it literally is the stock market. Yeah, like that is um, that is why a movie like Black Panther matters so much mm-hmm. because they they made a great return on their investment, mm-hmm. and so therefore, okay, maybe a predominantly black cast mm-hmm. is valuable. Yeah, we're actually talking about value meaning money. Yeah, um, and so I think that that's why. Even though, like lip service might be given to diversity here in a different way, um, And the change is happening. I don't yeah. think the change isn't happening. Mm-hmm. It's still that like in the stock market, you play you play um, sure things, and then you have like a little bit of money to like mess around with. Yeah. So the sure thing is still the overrepresented, straight, white, young. Mm-hmm. Cisgender Good male looking. viewpoint, yeah. like that's still the in, in here, that's still the sure thing. I mean, I guess because women will watch that, mm-hmm. and like because we've been told, we you know, like have to right. That's so so It's like. the same reason that white women will like, you know, women white women will show up and vote for the white male candidate. Mm-hmm. White white women will watch the dude driven mm-hmm. show, um, and I think that we also assume that like people of color don't have money to spend. Um and so anyway that's more of a gamble. Mhm. I think that what's changing is the percentage of money that's going toward this like mm-hmm. I'm going to use like air quotes like riskier properties yeah. but that's what's happening. Yeah. Like it's so really it's just it's just we're all trying to make money. Everybody's mm-hmm. trying to make money. The entertainment industry is an industry. Mm-hmm. And so I say this because you know for your listeners that would like to see like if you want to see different content the best thing you can do is vote with your dollars yeah um so go see things in the theater or you know pay to subscribe uh to the streaming service that's showing the content that you want to watch Mm -hmm. or like even you know watching clips of things on youtube or like following the twitter handle Mm -hmm. like those things all matter because they prove to executives and also then executives answer to like conglomerates that are in you know, Japan or China. Right. Like I don't this is all in the show 30 Rock or whatever, but like <laughs> that G E is the boss of NBC, yeah. which is like the premise in that show. Like that's all real. Yeah. There are there are like random businessmen elsewhere in the world <laughs> just trying to watch and take care of their money. Uh-huh. So like, yeah, Jeff Bezos is he's like, you know, delivering random shit to your door, but he's also spending money on programming. Yeah. It's the same guys making the decisions.
0: Is there any way out of, like, would, so Netflix famously doesn't, they don't usually release numbers, do they, in terms of, like, how many people They don't release numbers. So is that the solution, that you're not, we as an audience aren't necessarily tying one individual show or series or special to Netflix, which is, like, a money-making behemoth? Or just in terms of if we want more representation we need to make that prop but but it would Netflix be kind of separating but I guess they have those numbers never mind they those.
1: are watching because they aren't releasing their numbers mm-hmm. that is to protect their stock price. Um, because they don't want people to know when there's a, fr- a fluctuation, mm-hmm. and they don't want to know how many of viewers- you. They don't want people to know what is working, what isn't. They mm-hmm. don't want people to know when they have a flop. Um, but they are tracking. Yes, like they track right. the minute people stop watching something. I don't know if you know that. Like to mm-hmm. the minute. Mm-hmm. And also they know your demographic, so they know this demographic watched this movie until this minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not true just of Netflix. That's that those types of algorithms are being used by studios all over the place. Sure. So really, like the best thing you can do is. Um, spend all of your disposable income and that like, however scalable that is to anybody, yeah, you know, on, um, things that, that you want to watch. Cause mm-hmm. it's also not just like what you believe in. It's like, I actually really love watching queer movies. Mm-hmm. So like I go see queer movies yeah, because that's what I want to watch. Yes. So again, just to like go back to that Stephen King point earlier, I'm not like going to see, uh, like lesbian movies because of For charity's sake, it's because (laughs) I love the hot, hot sex.
0: (laughs) uh, A couple years ago when I saw Lady Bird, I realized, and like I am a straight white woman from the Midwest. I saw Lady Bird and realized I had never seen a movie that was literally about me in that way. Because it took place when I was in high school. Right. And it was like this weird theater dork, which I totally was who was like dramatically singing dave matthews in the car also true and i left the theater i was like holy shit i've literally never seen a movie that was about like a kid who was in high school in the early 2000s and i it took me seeing ladybird to be like oh that doesn't exist literally anywhere and i'm a millennial like i'm a pretty big chunk of the population and it's wild that we've just been like ignored because there was no value in our story which is shitty (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, also, so no, no, not placing value in the story also means that the, the people who could tell it maybe don't have the skill set. Mm-hmm. So again, this is what is actually really exciting is that like Greta Gerwig does exist yeah. and is continuing to work with like the same group of actors mm-hmm. and those people are getting attention. Again, this isn't necessarily always reflected in like the Academy Awards, but like... Booksmart was a huge hit mm-hmm. this last year or in 2019 um and you know Ava like somebody like Ava DuVernay she's she is like this is also how you how you like fuck the system mm-hmm. in a really awesome way she like invests her own money back yeah. in to to um creators that are black or or women or black women mm-hmm. and anyway this is all this is all very exciting mm-hmm. because it does mean that like part of the reason you also have not seen that story is because there was no one to tell it. Yeah. Or it was being told by, like, a dude from a distant yes. vantage point. And that's, you know, some of those things are really valuable and good, mm-hmm. but it's also really exciting that
0: we're um,
1: stepping into our own space. Yeah. So that is happening. I yes. want to, like, give you,
0: you know, the <laughs> hope that, like, it's really exciting, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, you have to grab out of that sometimes because things look pretty bleak. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I, you were a guest a couple years ago on one of my favorite uh, podcasts, My Brother, My Brother and Me. Oh, yeah. And you said something that has stuck with me ever since about um, people in this spotlight have a responsibility to come out if they, are, if they are gay. Do you still think that? And can you kind of speak to that a little bit? Or do you remember um, saying that? <laughs> I don't remember saying that. It does sound like me. Um,
1: <laughs> what's up to the McElroy brothers? Um, yeah, you know, I... I do actually believe that. I do believe that, mm-hmm. especially if they're. Um, I think there's. A, I think there are a couple factors here. I think like emotional safety, which can sometimes have to do with financial freedom or age. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those things are are really important. So mm-hmm. I, I would never advocate that somebody who is not in a safe right. situation course. put put themselves right. Um, through the process of coming out. And I, I do think it's important to say that because I think, you know, again, even something like National Coming Out Day will be on Twitter and it's like, there's this like, like, f- like get yourself out there, get yourself yeah. out there. But if you are, um, you know, having private conversations at home, if you are having sex, if mm-hmm. you are partnered to someone um, and you have financial stability mm-hmm. and, you know, career success... Mm-hmm. and independence Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a bummer, you know? I do actually think it's a bummer. I mm-hmm. think that it um Well, first of all, I think that the number one person that that will benefit is not like the community at large, uh-huh. but the individual right. who's in the closet and yeah. I like would want that for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that yeah, you know, being honest about how how many queer folks there. I mean, it's literally like I'm going to draw an analogy to like Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Uh Like, we don't have to fucking do this anymore. Yes. I I felt like, I felt, I do not know these people at all. Uh I am not a royal watcher. I felt so proud of them for the boundaries that they were able to draw. I felt so inspired by this. This is why I think, that it is important because yes. to draw boundaries and like this is my life that I am living yeah. that is
0: inspiring to see right i so i am a freelance writer but i had to go to an office for an onboarding thing and it was like right when that whole thing got announced and literally all anybody was doing was talking about it and how like oh she's tr- just trying to have her cake and eat it too and i was like what the fuck like wait you pit- went somewhere where people had a negative impression of this can you I'm, believe it
1: i i actually wait seriously I'm,
0: Have you only heard positive things?
1: Yes. Bless your sweetheart. (laughs) Like, I do live in Los Angeles. (laughs) I'm looking at Jordan, who's recording this for us. (laughs) Please tell me the negative things. I actually don't know. I mean, of course, I know the negative things of like what the queen would say or whatever. Like, I can imagine what the queen would say.
0: No, it's, it's, (laughs) I I I what those
1: people in Aurora are saying about (laughs) it.
0: It was in Chicago. Uh, No big deal. Tell me about (laughs) what tell me about that loop opinion. It was that they, literally, she said, like, this one particular woman who was talking a lot about it to every different person sitting around me. Give me the demographics. Me. I'm just curious. My age. Your age. Okay. This like, is a white person? A white person, woman, maybe early 30s, working okay. in a uh, big, uh, in the marketing department of a very big consulting company. Do you happen to know if she's married? Unclear. Unclear. Great. Okay. <laughs> Let's keep going. Let's keep but going. But she was just like, is she seems to think that Meghan Markle is like trying to get away with something of that. She wants the money and the security that comes with marrying into the Royal family okay. without the, and big air quotes, responsibility, whatever the fuck those are, which, okay. And that, and I've seen that. I have a, um, a family member who is like big Royal watcher and she is like, hashtag disappointed about it. It's just such a, what?
1: I know. I okay, I like I'm I feel
0: very grateful that
1: you're giving me um some a little bit of an op-ed uh-huh. about um how this could be negative.
0: And I but even like I'm listening. So this sounds like these women are straight up jealous. <laughs> Which is very funny. So. It's like from a
1: position of like I wouldn't behave this way given the crown, or whatever. yeah. <laughs> Which is very funny.
0: Which is because bizar- I just recently saw a tweet that put um, tweets about um, Ka- Catherine, Kate, Kate Who's yes. the other sister. The one married to the brother, Middleton, Kate Middleton. Kate That's what Middleton. you're talking about, Kate Middleton and Meghan about like headlines about them right next to each other, right? And the way Meghan Markle has been treated by the press is horrifying yes horrifying and that was another thing that this girl kept saying she's like you know kate hates her now and i was like probably not i bet she's fucking miserable too but she just decided to roll with it but it would be like you know look at kate and her voluptuous baby bump and then the headline for for megan marco would be like why can't megan Markle stop touching her tummy like just yeah really- i mean <laughs> right so uh a Colonial
1: Empire mm-hmm. still has um a racism? racism yeah can you in, believe it? built into its uh, media uh-huh. um yeah I mean I absolutely I absolutely uh was aware of the way that she has been treated and I felt like we all were uh-huh. um but I also felt like um to me it just spoke to this idea of how how much we all have responsibility uh-huh. in the world yeah. sometimes responsibility that's even chosen mm-hmm. or responsibility that comes with a lot of benefits yeah i mean i get to do a, a job that um i really love and very few people get that choice mm-hmm. and also at the same time it is okay to draw boundaries and have the life that i want <laughs> and so it makes me like a little sad thinking about um those women that you're talking about or, or anybody that might feel that, that yeah. way in terms of somebody ah, oh, somebody shirking her responsibility i also i i kind of want to ask them some
0: follow up questions <laughs> about how they draw boundaries in their own life. Oh, I was keeping my head down. I did not want to talk to these yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it for you. <laughs> okay, thank I don't want,
1: you. I don't expect you. Uh, it, I feel that you have, that you, it sounds like you really got through this work event. Yeah. And I really feel proud of you. Thank you so much. But I much. just mean I'm very me brave. as somebody who doesn't have any uh, <laughs> skin, in the game. skin in the game, just to be able to walk in and be like, now tell me how often... <laughs> You see your family of origin versus how much you'd like to see them. Yeah. Is it the same amount? Yeah. Like, are you do you feel God,
0: do you feel me? burdened by other people's expectations? Imagine <laughs> living with your mother-in-law or grandmother-in-law. It's yeah, a, no, I don't. That's too much. It's simply too much. Um, also, you know what's the other thing, and I did not get <laughs> intend for this to be a Royals themed show. Sounds like it is, though. <laughs> and here we are. It's literally the plot of a romance novel, is that yes, a Prince falls in love with the commoner and leaves it all behind to be... It's like the plot of Red, White... And- have you read Red, White, and Whirl Blue? I, I have read it. Did you love it as much as I have? I guided? thought it was
1: great, and I'm going to interview the um, author <gasps> for my own podcast. Really? Um, Can you tell her I loved it?
0: Yes, definitely. I've read it three times. Yeah. What? Why? Yeah. Things are bleak. <laughs> I, I just wanted to, like, <laughs> dig into this, like, happy little book. I've talked about it so much on the podcast, I get tweets, like, once a day. of someone being like, Jess, I finally read Red, White, <laughs> and Whirl Blue. It's... Yeah. Anyway, rude. but it's what what is happening is if we saw a movie, we'd be like, what a wonderful happy ending. I of know. That they got to be together without the scrutiny of the Queen or whatever they're doing. Like Yeah,
1: it's also the plot of multiple Disney movies, which I wonder if like I wonder I mean, especially what like especially more recent Disney movies, like if we think about sort of starting maybe even at like Okay, I don't know if you saw the remake. I don't know if you saw the live-action Aladdin, but it's very funny. I saw it on a plane. Um, (laughs) Great plane viewing. Um, It's very funny because they, like, switched some things around just a little bit Uh so that um, Jasmine actually has political power. And also that she, like, decides to be, uh, like, a queen in terms of, like, as a... As a political post, uh-huh. which is very funny compared to their animated. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, I just wonder, I wonder, like, this person who's having this big problem. I uh-huh. wonder how they felt about the movie, like Moana, for instance, or like Frozen, or I, like I just feel like you're right. This narrative of like a woman coming yeah. into her own power and deciding that she is who she wants, right? And what part of the responsibility that she feels to her family that she's going to live up to uh-huh. versus how she's going to follow her own dreams. That is the plot of every movie. It's also the plot of like girls. It's also yeah. the plot of
0: of it's the plot of everything. <laughs> It's the it is the plot for women. <laughs> I feel like I'm having that GIF again of the numbers yeah. like flying by yeah. my face. Like how how did that happen? That is absolutely wild. That is weird, wild shit.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I am probably taking up too much of your time, but there. Is, I really think my this is the part of the podcast where I just ask you to tell cool anecdotes. You know, okay, great. Like a real chill. Yes, let's do it. Does. Um, <laughs> we might end on this. So okay. this, yeah, that's if fine. that is okay. This is it. Um, could you quickly relate this story of how you first kissed a woman, then got ringworm? Oh, sure.
1: Yeah, Well I was. Uh, you know, I was um, really involved in social justice work in college, which meant I went on solidarity trips. More information about this <laughs> in uh, my forthcoming book, Save Yourself, which is available. March 24th, um, nice so you plot. could, like, really... I'm going to
0: put it in the uh,
1: hear this episode notes. Yes, people should buy it.
0: What's it called? It's
1: called Save Yourself. Save Yourself. And it absolutely deals with uh, faith and feminism, and it's very funny. Um, but, yeah, I was in Kingston, Jamaica, and um, came back from a trip to, King- to Kingston, Jamaica, kissed a woman for the first time, and then the morning after um, woke up with um, raised red bumps on my face, which I later found out was facial ringworm. Very contagious. And also a really shocking thing, if you've ever seen the movie uh, The Exorcist, and you are raised very Catholic, is to wake up with um, letters. Like a, like it was like a full <laughs> O. Um, and what did you think it's? Yes, for <laughs> ovaries. For ovaries. Yeah, on my face and um, I had also kissed some men the night before, so I had to call three different people and Whoa. explain to all of them that I had a very contagious facial fungus slash demonic possession slash demonic possibly possibly Possibly. which is also contagious it is through the mouth you know how (laughs) demons travel so yeah anyway um that full story is in this book and your your listeners should read it yeah
0: they absolutely should um just really quick before you go do you think that your existence as a podcaster so so a lot of the experience i have is when people write in saying oh i'm from this tiny town in nowhere i'm the only atheist i know What is it about – is it – what is about hearing your own story that makes you feel better? Like when – I'm sure you get a lot of feedback from that of of gay people in the middle of nowhere who don't feel like they can come out. Is it knowing you're not alone and that's what they need at that moment, do you think? Yeah, sure. I mean, I also think –
1: right, the basis of humor (laughs) – is relatability. Uh-huh. So even if we haven't all had the same experiences, mm-hmm. the thing that we're actually relating to each other on is the emotion that we have. So like earlier, you were saying, um, you know, you were comparing your uterus and um, calories, calories, a great joke,
0: great joke, thank you.
1: Um, <laughs> so like those two things, and the feeling of, and that the fact that they provide an emptiness that they are empty. Um, that comparison, like that's what people can relate to Mm -hmm. and not necessarily the lived experience. And, and anyway, um, I think we're always looking for that is how to relate to each other. Mm -hmm. It's literally why religion exists. Mm -hmm. We're just trying, we're just on this planet. We're born and we just spend the rest of our time until we die trying to relate to each other.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So yeah, I think that's why podcasting is also so effective because it you're, you know, you're literally in somebody's ears with them. Yeah. It's like the, almost the closest you could be. It
0: feels very intimate. Very intimate. And you feel like you know a person. Yeah. So, yeah, we're all just trying to relate to each other. Yeah. I love that. I think that's a great note to end on. So, um, anything you want to plug that my listeners might be really interested in? Yeah, my podcast is called
1: Query, and I do um, long-form interviews with um, folks in the LGBTQ plus community. It is um, serious and uh, dramatic, and it is funny, and it is sweet, and... Anyway, I really love doing it, and folks should listen. I've had some great guests, like really, really great guests. and um and then also, yeah, my book is called Save Yourself and you could pre-order it now, no matter when this comes out. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you very much, and yeah. we'll talk to you guys soon.